everyone. Welcome to the Holistic Birth Podcast, where we put the power in families' hands to have the safe, satisfying journey they deserve. My name is Allison. And I'm Bridget. We are two doulas who love bringing information along with inspiration to help you feel confident and powerful in your choices throughout the birthing year. We cover all topics around pregnancy, birth, and beyond. We're so glad you're here. Let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome back to the Holistic Birth Podcast. This is episode eight, and today we're going to be talking about autonomous birth in the hospital. So this is for those who choose to give birth in a hospital um, for whatever reason, um, whether that's if you're transferring, um, if it's more last minute, um, or you're truly high risk, one epidural options or anything like that, um, you still deserve an autonomous birth, and that um, supports you as a whole person, mind, body, and soul. We want to help equip you in having the most positive birth experience. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So, I mean, first we could talk, I think it'd be important to know that you can choose the hospital that's right for you. Most of the time you have more than one option and you kind of could ask yourself too, like how far are you willing to drive for a choice that feels like a better fit for you? Um, But learning which provider offices are affiliated with which hospitals is helpful. Um, Asking specifically those offices what their cesarean rates are, their episiotomy rates, kind of getting a sense of what their practices are like and what their outcomes are like is good. And then taking a tour of the actual facilities is usually an option. During COVID, they kind of um, like squashed in-person tours for a little while, but I know a lot of them are bringing that back. So um, whether it's virtual or in-person, it's really good to tour and get all your questions answered. Um, and then see what other people are saying about that specific, you know, hospital or the provider office, get on the like mom's groups on Facebook or whatever it is to kind of like get the, get the dirt, have the people spill the tea about their experiences with those places, because it can kind of help to know who can vouch or kind of expose certain trends with a certain provider or, or hospital. Um, and, uh, yeah. I feel like movies tend to demonstrate to us that birth has to be or is always this very fast and dramatic situation. Birth can be, you know, eventful, of course, but I feel like, I don't know, there's always the water Yeah, it's breaking. like gushing water coming out <laughs> and then like five seconds later that the hospital screaming and, you know, right. with their legs in the air kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah it's not, yeah, I, not entirely accurate. It's not, <laughs> it's very, I don't know if I've ever seen a birth scene in a movie where I'm like, that was actually really well done. Yeah, no, I don't really? think I've ever seen that no. either. Not ever. Not TV shows. Right. Yeah, it's totally different than, right. than what they portray. So the only, yeah. I think the only time I was ever like, oh, Hollywood did okay. sorry about that (laughs) if anybody heard the giggling baby sorry about that (laughs) yeah I think the only time I ever saw a scene that was sort of like pretty decent was um this like I think it was like a documentary I saw on Netflix it was um pieces of a woman have you seen that I haven't seen that no It, it is a it is like trigger warrant like it is about like loss um and it was a very specific situation I actually wrote a blog about it like a while ago because I wanted to like pick it apart and talk about oh, that's it cool. um so you know you might want to wait until after your babies arrive to to watch or read the blog post or whatever but um it was the only one I saw that did a decent job of showing like what labor can look like 
But still, it kind of gives us the idea that you the second you feel like a twitch of labor, you have to like rush on in. And for people who are seeking like an autonomous, more holistic, um, like family centered kind of birth experience, which is most of our listeners, I think, um, it's really helpful to know that you can wait until more active labor to head in. Um, when your water breaks or when you're first getting your like first few contractions, like it does not mean you have to head on in. Um, with like precipitous labor, which is when labor starts and then ends with the birth within like three hours or less, um, which is like ridiculously fast, right? Like mm. that's that happens in only like 3% of births. Um, so it's kind of helpful to remember that there's usually time to labor at home, um, especially if you're in those early labor stages. There is a huge difference, obviously, too, between early labor and active labor. Um, if you want the epidural, then that may change when you go in. But most people can kind of wait until that 511 or even 411 rule or ratio that people tend to rely on. I don't love the idea of like focusing on like timing contractions the entire time. It definitely takes you out of like your zone, but it's still helpful to know like if they're coming kind of frequently. Yeah. And they're different for everybody too. I've mm-hmm. noticed like yeah. even people that have them like two minutes apart or whatever, like it's still, right. you know, that doesn't mean that like you have to rush to the hospital. It can, that can last for a while. So it's, yeah. all, it's I think a lot of times it's about the intensity. Things yeah. could be four yep. minutes apart for hours, but you might still be giggling through things and you might still feel like baby's pretty high. You're not feeling any pressure in your pelvis. So right. like, talking through like it's not just the ratio and I, I've had people who they don't get closer than six minutes apart all the way through pushing yeah and it's yep. like typically we see them get anywhere from like two to three minutes apart during the pushing stage but it like I, I don't know it's it's hard to kind of just base it off of numbers alone and we're already a little number happy and mm, it, like yeah. we always want something tangible but it's helpful to kind of like hold that loosely but yeah most people tend to head in around that 511 or 411 rule explain and, what the four, 501 and 411 is yeah so 511 is like contractions are five minutes apart they've been lasting a minute long each and it's all been going on for an hour or more um or more is the thing i like to keep in mind right when you hit 60 minutes and they've been five minutes apart it's not like you need to rush um but it kind of depends on yeah like the intensity and then 411 is basically the same thing except four minutes apart lasting a minute long each all been going on for an hour or more um yeah even with intensity i've um seen too that sometimes you know some women don't experience any intensity at all and they're like oh like i I feel okay and then they're like oh gosh the baby's head is right there and they Mm -hmm. end up having baby at home or something but (laughs) right right yeah so it always depends too on like how comfortable would you be with a spontaneous home birth right um if that is I don't know maybe then yeah look into that but also Mm -hmm. if you're really wanting to avoid it if you don't feel safe giving a birth at home or you feel like you aren't prepared for that or whatever um, then definitely pay attention to like the pressure and sensations you're feeling because Mm -hmm. even if you're maybe coping well it's still good to know what to look for for uh, those really late stages of where you're at so obviously any like strong like pelvic pressure that's been pretty consistent or anything vaginally or rectally like pressure wise you're feeling those are usually indicative that it's time to head in immediately. Yes. Yep. <laughs> um, you might be starting pushing stage soon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even just taking like a birth class and communicating with your partner and your doula about um, different things to learn for like strategies on early labor versus active labor. Um, even some people do like to appreciate that early labor 
transitioning into active labor and still trying to stay in their rhythm at home before they just start rushing I think it kind of helps with like getting that pattern like established and then feeling like you found your rhythms for coping um, before heading in also things can kind of peter out a little bit too so it's like you know I've, I've seen people who get all excited they're like oh I think I think I'm at the 511 I think we're gonna head in and then the second they start to like head towards the door things slow down a little so it's like just wait until things are really consistent um, and then definitely be open with your provider too about your wishes and have them make suggestions based off of what's important to you about how long you want to labor at home and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, of course, laboring at home tends to be more comfortable. A lot of people really feel safer at home and that sort of thing. So, you know, they want to kind of stay there and just connect with their partner. Or if you, you know, need your doula there earlier, some doulas will come during early labor too, just to kind of you know, answer any questions you have or anything like that. Um, and then it also helps you get into rhythms. And um, so your chances of, you know, have that car ride, you know, and getting going to the hospital, the admission into the hospital, um, impacting contraction pattern is, is less likely. Um, so when you get to the hospital, of course, using your brain acronym and the six steps of healing, which we talked about in episode two, um, that really, you know, is important to once you're getting there. So you, you know, can establish what your wants and your needs are and what you want, don't want, that sort of thing. Um, and then uh, studies have shown that having a doula is also really great. So um, who is not employed with the hospital is always a beneficial um, and can have potentially change outcomes um, relative to risk shift. So decrease your risk of cesarean birth by um, 39%, increase your likelihood of spontaneous vaginal birth by 15%, um, and then decrease the use of any medications for pain relief by 10%. And then um, in some cases, shortening labor to an average of about 41 minutes. Um, and then decreasing the risk of just being dissatisfied with the whole birth process by 31%. So really impactful numbers. Massive. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I feel like I, I get excited when people find the evidence and then they come to us during like a consult or something and they're like I've seen like studies can decrease the risk obviously we can't guarantee outcomes of course yeah. we can do our best to help you like with the goals and the hopes that you have for your birth experience but it does bring a lot of comfort to people to know that they are supported by this doula this person that's hired by them for them yeah not for the hospital right. like the doulas work for right. you not for the hospital right the it's staff. nice to have that separation and yep. it's this familiar face that you've met in advance and you know will kind of visit you postpartum yeah yeah yeah, yeah. definitely good stuff yeah and I mean the people in your room obviously that matters a lot so I mean let's talk about nurses too because we focus a lot on the provider um, right the choice and how to pick someone and you work with them prenatally and um, we talk a lot about um, like how to choose your provider in episode five but the nurse is really the member of the hospital staff that you're going to see the most so um, I mean picking and managing that relationship is a good thing to keep in mind when it comes to trying to give yourself the best chances of an autonomous birth but most of the time the ratio for nursing staff to patients is like one to one so when you're in labor usually it's one nurse is assigned to you and nobody else um some places if they're busier or understaffed or if it's just not their setup um they might not have that one-to-one ratio, but it's usually pretty standard. Um, but you could always ask ahead of time, especially when you're doing the tour. Um, but they typically do like eight or 12 hour shifts. So it's sometimes good to kind of keep in mind around 7 a.m., 7 p.m., 
you'll probably see some sort of change. So if you really liked your nurse or if you didn't really like your nurse, it's like either a light at the end of the tunnel or <laughs> or it's that like prepare mentally prepare yourself that your favorite nurse might be heading out. Um, but even when you're on your way over and you've already called them, letting them know that you're on your way or when you're being admitted, um, you can kind of tell them what you're looking for in your doula. Like, I mean, in your nurse, like who – who is going to be the best fit for you? Is it someone who gives you space? Is it someone who's super hands-on and helpful? Is it someone who is good at like positioning? Um, someone who will um, be like funny or calming? Uh, there are definitely different personalities to nurses, just like doulas and partners and providers. Um, but yeah, it, that's always, I feel like a really helpful thing to think about is just like right when you get there or when you um, really liked your nurse or are getting a new nurse, you could always kind of put some put some feelers out there for hey you should pick somebody for me that's coming on that would really match what you think we best like we most need so you can kind of ask them to to keep in mind who would be a good fit for you rather than just more of like a random assignment um and then definitely lean on your partner and your doula to help amplify your voice when it comes to communication with nursing staff um especially because they like your partner and your doula will have known in advance what um is most important to you and so it kind of helps with that really that ease of the transitions and the communication yeah yep so yeah kind of back to the doulas too um the doulas are there to like work with the nurses um so there's a cohesive you know relationship that is happening there and a lot of times they are really appreciative of that there's a doula there because it really lightens the load for them Mm -hmm. um so you know if there's comfort comfort measures that you know that need to be you know um put in place like they don't have to do those things or doula can do them or your partner can do them or there's just like someone there other than them and they can go um you know because their caseload can be kind of big sometimes so just having that extra person there to like even help clean up some things um or you know get stuff out of the way or again just like be the extra support they really appreciate that so Mm -hmm. um and then ways to have your partner involved which is very important of course we don't want to exclude the partner they're really there to be a part of the birth team so and they're again the ones that know you the best um so Besides hands-on support with positioning or coping strategies, um, you can get on the same page with your partner um, about your wishes and your preferences ahead of time in conjunction with your doula, of course. Um, And then review your birth preferences or your birth plan with them, um, which you're kind of doing together, you know, anyways. So, Um, and then discuss scenarios to prepare for communication tools, uh, maybe asking your doula for tips and tricks um, here as well. Um, and explore um, what might be you might be comfortable with with your partner doing um, and if do you prefer like um, them communicating to the hospital staff or do you prefer your doula doing it like do you want your partner to kind of focus more on supporting you and that way have your doula or do you want your partner really being the one to be you know the voice and um, advocating for you so if that's needed Um, and then if you're um, and then, you know, of course, tell your you know, your doula ahead of time, like, what your preferences are. It's really good to keep that communication open. Mm-hmm. So yeah. There's definitely different, like, ways that your doula or partner would communicate. There are people who just are naturally more confident and direct. And there mm-hmm. are other people that, not that confrontation or conflict is challenging, or maybe it is, but it's more like they, they go about it in a very gentle way. So yep. you can kind of pick your doula based off of their communication style. Yeah, um, yep. I know that I've had clients who are seeking a doula who 
is maybe gentler to soften how they feel like they might be communicating with the mm-hmm. staff. They're like, I need yep. someone to like soften how direct I'm going to be. Yeah. And I've had other people who were like, listen, I'm a people pleaser or I'm really bad with conflict or telling people what I need. I mm-hmm. kind of need someone to take the initiative and to kind of yeah. like step in. So yep. that's something to think about too. When choosing a doula, when kind of talking with your doula and your partner about like communication styles, um, yeah, like do you feel like you need someone to offset you or fill in the gaps that you feel like you're not going to know what to do or how to how to do it, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But. So definitely some doulas are, will go to bat for you if you want them to. So mm-hmm. you don't be afraid to, yeah. to, when looking for one, if that's what you need. Or mm-hmm. again, if you want someone that's going to kind of just, you know, relay it in a more gentle manner right. if you're a more stern person. So yeah. are you <laughs> yeah. familiar with... Um, Lord of the Rings. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> Obsessed cause... with Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I had done a post like a while ago. Um, I had a client who had said like they thanked me for being their Gandalf. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, that's that's such a good analogy is like there are definitely different ways that someone can be your doula. I'm sorry if we're making Lord of the Ring ref- Lord of the Rings references I'm and sorry, you're not, not sorry. getting it. <laughs> if it's not for you, that's fine, but basically Gandalf um helps to lead the way and protects and you yeah. shall not pass. Like it's very yeah, like he, yeah. he, he he can be a very um like strong leader and guide and um that type of thing. So I'm going to use that now. Do, yeah, I mm-hmm. highly recommend. And that's yeah. sometimes when I know that someone has familiarity with Lord of the Rings, yeah. I can ask them like, do you need a Gandalf or do you need a Samwise Gamgee? Like, yeah. do you need yeah. someone yeah. who's going to like, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. Like, do you, yeah. do you need like someone who's not going to like lead the way, but like walk with you and ha- kind of follow you as you're leading you know right so yeah sometimes that's a good oh I like that <laughs> like, oh, I haven't I thought of that before <laughs> yeah it's a good it's a good <laughs> distinction great. of like you know the communication or the types of support so yeah that might even kind of blend into like the nurses that you have like do you like someone who's very good about being proactive taking charge and um helping to guide you or do you kind of just need a nurse who's supportive of the rhythms that you've already established or whatever but yeah know mountains Gandalf (laughs) sorry I had to add that in there my partner and I every time we go hiking we like we'll see a view and we're like mountains Gandalf so whatever that's funny yeah (laughs) I'm not like a I'm not I think I'm more into Harry Potter than I am into Lord of the Rings yeah we like Harry Potter too cool yeah but I I definitely cannot I cannot talk about personalities and communication styles in the birth room without bringing up that example yeah no that's awesome I love that that's great (laughs) Yeah, and I think something that's important to note too is a lot of times when we're thinking about autonomous birth in a hospital setting, a lot of people ask and wonder about like hospital policy. Okay, well, I want to do it this way, but they say that this is what they do or this is their policy. And it's really helpful to make the distinction that hospital policy is not law. It's Mm -hmm. something that's put in place to protect the hospital staff and providers, um, mostly from any liability or any litigation. Right. So it's kind of like guidelines that they are trying to follow to reduce the risk of all of that. Yep. Um, I feel like when um, I was on my honeymoon, I read this book called it's pushed by Jennifer Block. Life of a doula. Life of a doula. Like <laughs> I'm like, this is what I'm reading as we're like sitting on the, we had like a, a Smoky Mountains, Tennessee cabin, oh, you know, beautiful. we That's went nice. like horseback riding and did like all kinds of like fun My stuff. Kind of honeymoon. Yeah. It was I like great. That. It was yeah. great. Um, but it was like COVID time. So we kind of just like 
really had it was very restorative but this is what I would read on the porch um during during the early hours of the morning but um (laughs) It was a fantastic read, um, especially if you want to learn more about how the shift happened between um, like that huge surge of, of policies that became kind of more implemented Im- implemented over the last like 50 or 75 years. Like mm-hmm. their fear of like breach birth and the any potential like one case really can shift tons of policies. It so, can, yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, but it's, it's hel- it might it might be helpful if you're interested in, in that kind of history. But when you are in active labor, the hospital is legally required to care for you. So if you are um, like not on board with the policy that they have or um, you're not wanting to follow something that they're recommending, they can't kick you out. They can't decline like they can't just be like, OK, well, we're going to have to boot you. You're going to have to transfer out because you're not, you know, getting out of the tub right. when we want you to or yeah. whatever. Um, but I think there was a helpful post like a blog post that I saw from Lamaze when I was doing some research on this like a little while ago and um they had given a good example about say for example when you get to the hospital most of the time they want to do some sort of monitoring or have you in the bed at the beginning to kind of like like track and trace where you're at um but if you prefer to walk in order to progress labor or um you know, just cope because movement's really great, of course. Um, and the nurse is telling you it's hospital policy for you to be in bed for whatever reason, monitoring or whatever. You can ask them, oh, could I please see the rules? I'd like to kind of talk about this. It's my understanding that it's my right to negotiate what these are and it's my responsibility to, um, it's, it's now my responsibility if I'm deciding mm-hmm. to kind of go against it. And then they can have whatever opinion or um you know, reaction that they mm-hmm. want, but in reality, they can just document that you've, you know, you're declining that or whatever. Sometimes they get more um, people declining policies than they led you to believe. Like a lot of people are like, no, thank you. Like I'd still like to be up moving. Let's try to track me that way. Or I'd rather sit in the ball than in the bed. Like mm-hmm. there are alternatives and I am, it's helpful to know that those do exist. And um, they, they are used to a, a adjusting and adapting and some are really great about it too so they might surprise you but um let's hope that you're surprised um by how receptive they are (laughs) yeah yeah definitely (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. all right so also um environmental factors are another thing that play a huge part in it too um so such as like the lighting so you don't have to have like crazy fluorescent lights blaring in your face you can certainly shut those off um set up you know led candles or have it dark whatever you want um, and then sounds like, you know, if there's beeping of monitors, you can ha- ask to have those shut off. Um, they don't have to be on. Um, so you, and then you can play music if you want. Um, if there's talking, you can ask people to be quiet. Or if you want people to talk to you, you can do that too. Um, and then the amount of people that are in the room is another thing. So if you don't want like observers and um, students or you just like want you and your partner or the doula, you can totally ask for those things. Um, a lot of hospitals I have seen that they will, the nurses will just leave the room unless they're needed. So mm-hmm. you can totally have that done too. Um, and then adding aromatherapy is also a nice touch too, just to kind of, again, you know, set that kind of undisturbed feeling. Um, that's, you know, what the environment is really there to do. So you can still request all these things and have them done, you know, and there shouldn't be any, any problems mm-hmm. about that. So, yeah. 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 
really anything you can do to think ahead of time about what will make you feel safest yeah and what will give you the autonomy that you're looking for that yeah it's kind of defined by differently by different people but um this is a good time to think about what it means like if you are planning to give birth in a hospital or you're kind of trying to keep it on your radar just in case of a transfer if you're out of hospital yeah just thinking about which of these things are resonating most if we forgot anything that you're like oh you know what this is like this is so part of my birth plan I I know I want x y and z then yeah like send us an email drop in in a comment on any of our posts we'd love to chat about it because everybody defines autonomy in a hospital setting differently but yeah yeah mm-hmm. definitely and this is you know just a great episode for those that are you know maybe if they did want like you know birth center home birth or something like that and they can't because of high risk um, issues or medical conditions or something like that you can still absolutely have an autonomous birth mm-hmm. in a hospital so yeah yeah definitely yeah all right. So I think that's all for this episode. Yes, yeah. ma'am. All right. Cool. <laughs> well, thanks so much for listening. And we will definitely catch you next week. Um, be sure to like, subscribe, and comment, whatever you want to do. <laughs> yeah. We still appreciate it. So thanks mm-hmm. for watching and listening. See you later. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. That's it for this topic. Thanks for tuning in. Check out the show notes for any resources or links that we mentioned today. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on your preferred podcast platform. And also be sure to give us a review. It really helps us grow and reach more people who could benefit from this info. Also check us out on YouTube and visit our blog where we have this podcast transcribed for you. We'd love to connect over social media too. And we're just an email away if you have any questions or if you want to request a topic to be covered. We hope this helps your mind, body, and soul in having the supported and holistic journey you are so deserving of. Embrace the power within you.